welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Hey guys, it's Vin here. Welcome back to another episode of Generation Ag. We're full on into February, which I cannot believe we are February 8th, 2021. Time is surreal at the moment and I think we're more precious and present about our time than we ever have been, particularly with COVID last year. I know I am, especially after going into our five-day lockdown, which to some people I was quite traumatic about because I think it was very tough five days. But I'm not going to complain because we're out of it and I've actually come home to the farm because wearing a face mask is harder than you think. (laughs) Anyway, I'm very excited for today's episode with Jordan. I chatted to him all about his recycled metalwork sculptures. So Jordan's actually based out in Narrenbeen in Western Australia And he uses recycled material found from retired machinery, scrap heaps and clearance sales. Some of the pieces found date over 100 years and have been used by early settlers of Western Australia. The objects he produces range from dragonflies, owls, seahorses to large-scale sharks and eagles. Honestly, it's amazing. Uh, He spends hundreds of hours. I know he spent over 500 hours on his metalwork piece, the rhino, which we chat a little bit about in this episode. He's phenomenal at all his work and they are so well made and yeah, it's really, really cool. So jump over and have a look on his website and his Instagram after this, guys, because I mean, that's only the real scale. And if you're over in WA, um, go and find some of his sculptures because they're absolutely phenomenal. So let's get into today's episode. And remember, guys, I know we say this at the end of every episode, but seriously, um, without you guys, we couldn't make this happen. So if you love our episodes, please share it with your friends. Um, Share it on your Instagram story. Um, tell one person this week if you love the episode. So that really, really helps us. Also, rate out in the review section. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review and make sure you go and tell a friend. All right, let's get into it. So, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Very excited to have you. A little bit of a different guest, but I think this is one that a lot of people will be really interested in. I've told a few people about you and what you're doing and everyone I've talked to knows about your sculptures. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your upbringing. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I I was born born in Bruce Rock, but I live in Narrabeen, um, so out in the Eastern Wheat Belt here. and I kind of did what all the kind of country kids did. I went to school kind of my whole life up until year 10 and in Narrabeen. And then I went off to Perth to finish off in boarding school at Wesley. Um, and then I did a few years in uni doing psychology. Um, and before I kind of finished my degree, I decided I'd take a gap year. And I kind of just started dabbling into uh scrap metal sculptures and yeah it kind of blew up on me um with kind of social media and everything else and yeah it's kind of what I'm doing I think this is my eighth year now in Narrabeen so I was planning to stay 
in Narrabeen for a year and it, yeah, eight years on and I'm still still doing it. And how did it all come about? So in terms of you staying, you're on the family farm, obviously. What was that decision to stay there and create your art from there? Uh, I mean, it's the only thing I could really afford to do. I, being a uni student, I didn't have any um, any other way that I could kind of go down this hobby. Um, and Dad had like a shed that was always free and all the tools and um, obviously coming from a farm I've just got endless amounts of scrap metal so yeah it kind of just happened because I could really it wasn't like I was trying to make a job out of it or a career or I mean I didn't even really think what I was doing was artistic it was more just a way to pass the time and I could make cool stuff and practice my metal work and um yeah, so it kind of just happened organically um, and, yeah, being on a farm especially, like I don't think I'd be able to do it any other way really. Like a, you, there's just no other way to have that kind of space with a shed and all the scrap just lying around to be able to, yeah, pursue a career like that. Yeah, totally. And for you before the art sort of became a job, what what were you, when you're at school, what were you thinking you were going to go back on the farm or I guess this was probably not a career path you thought would take you to where you are? Uh, so I think like, yeah, I I think I figured out pretty early on that I wasn't going to come back on the farm. Um, I, yeah, I'm always interested in psychology. So I always thought like psychology, that would be a good path to take. Um, and once I did my, oh, more or less finished my degree, I was like, before I actually become a psychologist, I will just give this a shot. Not, yeah, not obviously planning to become a artist at all, just to take a year off um, before I actually, yeah, have to get into the grind, so to speak. Um, and it, yeah, I don't know. It, it was really just fluke and. I think, yeah, doing, I chose a medium that is very, uh, it's popular for just everyday people, not necessarily the art world, but it's popular for just everyday people that enjoy, I guess, animals and recy recycling and, um, yeah, so that's why I think it's been successful. Because, I mean, I'd, I wouldn't say I'm overly creative or overly extroverted or like, I don't know, it's kind of just happened just through social media and people just supported me that way. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's such a different uh, way to start being a creative than most people are used to, but it's amazing, I guess, as well, having the inspiration of the farm around you and all the, you know, objects laying around and metalwork from old old machinery and other things that lay around on farms, I guess, that just brought everything together for you. And I guess you'd have to have a little bit of welding experience beforehand or did you? are you really a self-taught welder as well? Yeah, I, like I'm not. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't want anyone to look too closely at my welds because they're not perfect. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I kind of just learnt from dad like when I was younger, um, like most farmer's sons, just learn how to use all the basic tools, the angle grinder and the plasma cutter and the drop saw and the welder and yeah like I think the scrap metal part just came in because I don't think like 
we didn't have endless amounts of new metal to use. So Dad just said, I'll just go to town on all the scrap metal lying around. And that's why I chose recycled metal. It wasn't because I was trying to recycle or because I like the look of it. It's literally just because that's all I was allowed to use. So it kind of just came from that. And yeah, I mean, down the, I found out that recycled metal is very popular. But that's not why I chose it at all. It's just because that's all I was able to use at that age. Yeah, right. And when you're creating these sculptures, what were some of the first ones that you were creating and how have all the ideas But Because all of them, obviously, it's the same medium, it's the same sort of scale, but each sculpture that you're creating is very different. So what's the motivation and how do you come up with all of these concepts? Uh, so, I mean, if anyone follows me, it's, they're all animals. I've always kind of been passionate about building animals. They're the only one, like I, I'm not interested in people. I'm not that, oh, I'm definitely not interested in abstract art or figurative. Um, yeah, it's kind of just animals. It, I think I had a, like as a kid, I would always draw. And I think most of the time they were animals as well or robots or things with guns or stuff like that so it kind of mm-hmm. just grew from that and yeah like there's no shortage of work out there to build people or abstract art but yeah the animals are the only ones that really kind of excite me and yeah I've learned like there's so many animals out there to do as well as like extinct animals and myth, uh, mythological animals so I've just got so many ideas in my head that I've wanted to do that like I just don't want to change my path or direction in like other styles or genres. Mm. And when you're designing, so what's the start for you for the creative process from beginning to end? Because I mean you do post a lot on social and it's really interesting to see but where do you start obviously in your head with a design or an idea or an animal what what do you do after that? What are sort of the steps in place to get to the end uh, sculpture? Uh, so, yeah, most, like if you saw, if anyone follows me, usually I'll start off with a, uh, like I'll buy a model online of, say, a horse. Um, and that will kind of give me the 3D dimensions um, of the width. Uh, and that will then... So I'll then get the silhouette of, say, the horse, cut that out with a plasma cutter. And once that's got the 2D dimensions, then I can then lift that up right, weld it to a frame, and then kind of build outwards with, a like, the 3D, like the, the hips, the torso, the belly, um, the head, and you kind of can build outwards. Uh, that's, yeah, that, I found that way... Um, at the end of the, like, uh, once you've done 400 hours or whatever, most of the time it looks like a horse. But I think if you try and freehand, or not freehand, kind of just by go by your head, it's very, very, very hard to get it all looking and anat- to have it anatomically correct. So I do like to use models and drawings and sketches and just to get all the dimensions right of a horse. Because uh, I think. Even if you're not that artistically minded, most people can tell if something doesn't look right. So I've, yeah, kind of just adapted that uh, 
that plan and now it's yeah there is a bit of a like a, a routine now that I go to start all projects and it's um yeah it seems to work but yeah I've made thousands of mistakes along the way as well that most people will never see and because I'm dealing with metal you can kind of just cut it out and plasma cutter it and then weld another piece in and yeah, no one would know the difference. They kind of just see the end product. And because you're using all of these recycled pieces, and I've heard you speak about before that actually it's fairly easy for you to source because so many people drop things off to you. But do you have really interesting pieces, obviously, uh, of old cars and stuff? Do you pick the pieces that you're going to use for each of your works or do you make pieces that you like work for different uh, sculptures? How does that work? Yeah, so I don't, like, I don't, um, I'll pick the animal first over the, like, the, the scrap metal for the specific piece. So um, I generally just collect lots and lots and lots of different scrap pieces of all different types. And then um, kind of once I've picked the animal and I've got the 2D silhouette cut out, I'll kind of bring in pieces that I think would look cool in it but I don't actually know where they're going to go mm-hmm. and I'll bring them in the shed then clean them and I'll lay them kind of all on the floor and that way like they're in there and I can like try pieces on weld it doesn't don't like it cut it off try another piece and that's generally the way I do it it's like just one big jigsaw puzzle so I don't yeah I think there's this um, idea that I've kind of got in my head where each piece is going to go before I start, and yeah, that would that would just be possible. It's more just trial and error, and to see which piece works, and then you weld it in rather than I've got an idea in my head. Because I think if I had an idea in my head where everything would go, the piece would take half of oh, a third of the time to to make. And for me, just yeah, trial and error. And luckily, I enjoy it, that kind of process because otherwise I don't think I'd be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the coolest sort of uh, pieces of metal that you've been able to source to use? Because you, you've got some really cool stuff that you put on each of your sculptures. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. Like most of the, like especially when you get the older generations come and see your work. They know what most of the pieces are. Mm. Um, I'm, yeah, kind of oblivious to the older generations of farming and I've got no idea where most of the things came from. Um, so that's cool, like, when you can you listen to some of the, like, your granddad go around and see, they, they know all the different pieces and where they came from and when they used them. Um, I know I've had pieces that have been over 100 years old uh, from some of the earliest settlers of Narrabeen, um, which I think was cool, having a yeah a bit of metal that's over 100 years old. Uh, I do like the the old cast iron, um, like the sun, right? the old sunshine harvesters and combines um, that a lot of people use now, and they use make uh, like shoe. Uh, boot boxes and stuff like that, and then they put in uh, um so I've welded a few of those into my bigger pieces, such as the the two sides of the the big cast iron plate mm-hmm. um, and 
yeah, so they're probably the most interesting parts just because they like you can actually tell how old they are because they usually have a date stamped into them. Um, and I mean, I think the thing that a lot of other people like is uh, the use of tools because they use um, lots of tools in my pieces. And I think most people can identify tools. So I add lots of presents and hammers and pliers and scissors and stuff like that. So that's probably the ones that I use the most and they seem to draw the most attention, the, the tools. Mm. Is that just a trial and error with where to place them or is that something that you sort of lay out like a jigsaw puzzle beforehand and then put into the sculpture? Yeah, yep, yep. Um, yeah, as I was saying, you just lay it all on the floor and then you kind of just weld it in, kind of try it there in one spot, say on the leg, and if it doesn't work there, and then you take it out. And sometimes you never use it. Sometimes you can have a piece laying in your scrap pile for, I don't know, five years and you've, you thought it was a cool piece, but you never knew where it was going to go. And then eventually you just find the right project comes into the shed and then it stays, gets welded in. And yeah, then that piece hopefully will stay and get admired for another, I don't know, however long the, the sculpture's gonna last, 20 years, 25 years, and um, preserve the history even longer. Mm. What are some of the fa your favorite pieces that you've worked on? They're all really brilliant, but what, what is your number one favorite? Uh, I always think, because um, I mean, it's a pretty common question I get, and I always say the piece that I'm doing at the moment is my favourite piece. Um, yeah. Just, I think, because uh, I do enjoy the process, and it's it is it's too hard to pick a favourite. Like they're all good in their own way, and the ones that I actually, some of the ones that I've I've really liked. Um, they take sometimes the longest to sell and then others that, oh, not don't like, but the ones that I don't have the same admiration for, they sell in like a day. So mm. um, I think if I had to make a choice at the moment, I'd say the Rhino, just because it was my biggest piece and I, I, like, I liked the addition of the stainless steel with the recycled metal. Uh, and I think also where it went, like I think like nowadays I'm trying to get more of my pieces into the, the public eye. Um, so I really like the idea that it stayed locally um, in South Perth there at, in front of the, um, the ferry. The ferry, the ferry yeah. There. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I like the idea that that one stayed in the public eye and because it's my biggest and arguably my best um yeah i think that's probably my favorite probably at yeah. the moment but it's yeah. yeah it's so hard to pick and can you tell me about nick matt and doing a piece for him and what was that like uh yeah i mean i so i've wanted i was wanting to get the um eagle that i because i did a wedgetail eagle to um what was that, 2018, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking there's like probably no better spots to put that than West Coast mm -hmm. uh, at the new headquarters there. 
and uh, yeah, so it's kind of just um, through that I was unfortunately that one that didn't happen. The wedge tail ended up going to the Shire of Williams, which is just on the yeah. woolshed. Yeah, so it's out the front of the woolshed there. Um, so the um, Williams have the wedge tail, uh, but through that I was able to make a few connections with the Eagles, and yeah, it kind of just happened. A mate was able to set me up by getting in contact with um, Nick Nat, and Nick Nat's being Fijian. Uh, yeah, it was just a good match, and um, yeah, we were able to get him the turtle. And yeah, uh, so hopefully I can get a few more pieces out there to some uh, more WA icons. But yeah, that was great meeting him and having a chat with him. And that was kind of before uh, lockdown. Oh, sorry, it was the start of coronavirus. So they were all in lockdown and kind of just training at that stage. So uh, yeah, and that was cool to meet him and uh, check out his house and pad and whatnot. Yeah, such a cool, iconic uh, WA figure to be able to share your work with. So that would have been really awesome. And I'm sure the Eagles will see the Eagle flying high and be envious soon enough. Yeah, oh, I think um, long term I'll definitely push to get an Eagle there. Uh, like I think, well, West Coast are probably the biggest club in WA. So if I was to do... A football like a football team. I think I'd, I would love to do the the West Coast. Not that I'm a West Coast supporter, but I just think like it'd be such a cool, cool place to have a big wedge tail like out there, Laugh Lane Park there. Um, yeah, yeah, and that would be very cool. Yeah. Oh, this, and that's the thing. There's just so many opportunities for animals, like because most sporting clubs have animals and then lots of businesses have animals on their logos and like there's just such a big opportunity um to to make animals uh so yeah i and that's the thing i've got so many ideas for animals it's more just finding the time to do them and then figuring out where you can put them Mm. yeah i think as well something that's quite interesting to note you being an artist you're still very business-minded as well. Like you're very much considerate of who's going to purchase the art or who you can create art for to be purchased. What Have you always sort of had that business mindset with your art? Uh, I think so. Like it's still weird like being called an artist. Uh, I don't really see – I mean, I am an artist, but I kind of – I'm not – I don't know what what side of the brain is the creative side. Is it right or left? Um, you're asking the wrong person. I, I feel like it's the left side. Don't quote us though, everyone. I'll find that out. Hey guys, Vin here with a quick update from that section of the podcast. It's the right side of the brain that is the creative. So there you go. I was wrong about that. Anyway, back to the podcast. <laughs> I, I don't actually think I'm that. I think I'm more... Um, I don't know, being a farmer's son, like like most farmers' kids are, you kind of pick up a lot of the habits from your parents and your dad, uh, especially how you run a business. So I think I picked up that a lot from my dad. Uh, and 
Yeah, so I think for me, I'm always thinking like, cool, you can make this cool thing, but at the end of the day, you've got to try and sell it to run the business. So, um, and I think having my psychology degree, I use that a lot as well. Like, it's amazing how much uh, psychology is involved when you're buying and selling artwork. Like, because it's not, it's kind of a non-essential item. Uh, it's usually out of, like, it's an emotional purchase. So you've kind of got to tap in with that. And, yeah, it's kind of just evolved from that. And I think, yeah, this is one thing I think the a lot of artists struggle with. They don't struggle with the, the producing of the art. It's how they market their work and how they try and run the actual business as an artist because it is, it is a business in the end. And, uh, yeah, if you're not making any money, you won't be able to keep creating art. So it's kind of – you do need to put just as much time into – uh, how, like, I think how you market your work and the business side of things just as much as you do as the actual artwork itself because, yeah, if you're not making any money, you'll not be able to make your art. So it's kind of, yeah. Catch 22 almost. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think this is another thing that frustrates me. Like, you don't have to be that good at business and marketing. Like, if you're not good at it, get someone to help you do it who is good at doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of just need to ask someone to help you and then um, like they can push your work out and to places and people that you'd never imagine. Um, and it does cost money, but you make the money back. Like if you mm-hmm. kind of just get your business out there and get others to help you out with it. So mm-hmm. um, I know... Uh, yeah, because it's kind of what's it been? It's been a year, I think, since I've had an assistant, um, and that's made a huge difference with my work. Because um, I think since I've had an assistant, she's then got uh, probably three or four other people to help me out with my business, and it it does make a huge difference. Like for me, like I think I can now focus more on actually the building as well as learning stuff about the business and marketing and the social media and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's the thing. There's lots of people out there that can help you. You've kind of just got to put your hand up and say, look, I need help. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of just how it's happened. But um, in saying that, I've yeah, I'm no expert at the whole marketing and stuff like that, but I've say like I do enjoy that side of things like I'm still learning um, mm. which is fun mm. and what are you currently working on give us an update of what you're working on at the moment in 2021 uh, so I'm just building a Spanish mackerel at the moment which is a, a private piece um, for yeah a lady in Perth um, yeah, generally, I think she, we first decided we we're going to build a kangaroo, and um, we changed that thankfully because I've kind of built, yeah, I've built my fair share of kangaroos now, so I'm kind of getting sick of them. So <laughs> we're able to agree on the um, Spanish mackerel, which is cool. So I'm, uh, 
maybe in the next two or three days that should be finished. Um, and then I've got some, yeah, as I was saying, kangaroos. I've got some more kangaroos I could do for a, a childcare centre in Margaret River. Um, and hopefully after that I get to do a camel, um, which I would love to get to Cable Beach if I could. But, yeah, as I said, it's kind of just, because I haven't done a camel before, I wanted to build a camel, but I thought of all the places that it could go in WA, um, Broome, like Cable Beach would just be amazing. 100%. That would be very cool. And for people that want to see your art, obviously you touched on the rhino in South Perth and also other eagles in Williams. Where are other places that some of your artwork is publicly? Uh, so I have a Spanish bull um, in Querrating on the main street of Querrating. Um, I have a draft horse and a hawk in Narrambeen, which is my hometown. Uh, I also have actually a big crocodile that's in Narrambeen at the moment that um, kind of got caught in limbo with this coronavirus. That's just on the Shire lawn at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I also have a kangaroo in Margaret River at Amelia Park Wine out the front. Awesome. Um, and I think the rest are all private. Yeah, they're but all private. But that's still a good lot of the southwestern Wheatbelt region that's featuring your work, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it all started um, kind of just with Narrambeen. Like you just get one in Narrambeen and then another town sees it. So, But, yeah, these days I am trying to push the the public pieces if I can because I think, uh, yeah, it'd be nice just that you could kind of go to a different tourist town or destination around WA and I could have a piece there and you can kind of, yeah, do a bit of a tour around WA checking out all the different sites with a like a Jordan sculpture. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So what does the future of your art look like? Where where do you see yourself sort of moving forward with your art? Um, oh, the, yeah, there's lots of ideas. Um, I think definitely the one that I do want to push, as I was saying before, is public sculptures. Uh, I'd... I mean, I don't think I'm going to be moving from WA anytime soon. That seems like is where I want to stay. So I think I'd love to keep putting sculptures around WA um, in, yeah, prominent. Uh, who knows what happens, like, after COVID with, um, I guess, like, I'd, I've always dreamed of putting a um, big piece in America somewhere, like at a oh, big amazing. casino or... Um, at a big NBA stadium or like I guess with what I do they're all animals and America love their animals as well so I don't know I sometimes my ideas are just ridiculous but I'd love to do like a humongous like dinosaur and then kind of I don't know put it somewhere and make that like just a tourist destination just because of, of its size and uh so yeah that's that's in terms of sculpting that's kind of what i'm thinking um i also don't mind uh like talking about my work and like touring around so maybe down the line i might do 
a sculpture and then put it on the back of the ute or trailer and then kind of just tour Australia or tour WA and just drop into each town and kind of talk to men's sheds or schools or and kind of just discuss that as well as I guess my other passion is mental health so I could discuss my sculpturing and then discuss uh, a bit about mental health and kind of just it's a good way that I can kind of add my two passions which is sculpting and mental health as well as seeing WA because there's so much of WA that I still haven't seen so it's a cool way to do that as well. Yeah I love that you want to give back and I love that you want to share your knowledge and experience with other people in a unique way and I think that's really really important especially as there is still a lot of stigma around mental health regionally in Australia so that sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, that's. Um, I think it's definitely gotten better. Like, um, I mean, since I've kind of been studying psychology, there's a lot of uh, kind of initiatives that have started up. Uh, and yeah, it's with men, we are kind of uh, we're a lot more guarded, and we only like talking about stuff like this alongside blokes not face to face so um i think that's why i like the idea of men's shed so much just because you can discuss stuff like this in a non-confrontational way while you're fixing a car or you're painting seats or you're 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 trying to get an objective done with other like-minded men and you can also help uh share your your problems or things you're struggling with and um i think as well yeah especially being out in the regional area you're so isolated that's i think that's most of the problem to be honest it's just being so isolated and men when they get lonely as well as anyone just it's yeah it's not great for their mental health or their physical health to be honest it's just yeah we're not made I think, to be alone. Mm, I 100% agree. I think it's really, really important. And the fact that you can pay your art with, you know, a little bit of mental health awareness, I think, is such a great way to, yeah, keep keep decreasing the stigma around that. Because, yeah, like you say, I think it's something that still a lot of men, particularly regionally, are not comfortable sharing and being vulnerable. So, yeah, that's super important. Yeah. No, I was just... it's um uh slow and steady but i think um yeah we are heading in the right direction um and i think a lot more guys are kind of opening up and coming out and if they are struggling they're not ashamed to say look i need help i think that's the biggest thing they're just they're so worried about putting their hand up and saying look i'm struggling i need help and then once they do they get help and then they can then help others that are struggling because they can kind of um, empathise with other blokes that went are going through the same thing that they went through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree there. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. I'd love for you, before you go, uh, just to share where the best places are for people to find out about your work and, yeah, if they want to get in touch with you to learn more about what you do or learn about how they can get a sculpture made for uh, their local shire or their personal collection uh so yeah mainly just 
Facebook, Instagram, um, email is always the best way. Um, you have yeah. got a website as well. People can and, and find you there. Whatever's, whatever's easiest. Um, yeah, just Google Jordan Spriggs Sculptures and, yeah, you'll be able to find a lead onto one of those, whatever's easiest for you, for you really. But, yeah, yeah. If, um, if your town is interested or you'd like the idea of having a sculpture in your town, then it's just best just to get in contact and then we can just start the conversation because I know it can be a slow process getting public art into a town, but... Um, it is achievable, and like with there's lots and lots of different grants out there these days that kind of support country arts, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to kind of get started. So uh, if you are interested, just give me a call and we can um, have a chat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.